I think that it's community definitely connects to us with that. And in some ways it, it adds higher expectations on their part that is okay because Marlene had the high expectations of her business and her staff to begin with. So we have the same expectations. This is Evolve CPG, a community of purpose-driven brand leaders who not only believe in better, but actively pursue it. Better products, better brands, better leadership for a better world. I'm your host, Gage Mitchell, and today we're speaking with Lisa Gebhardt, owner and general manager at Marlene's Market in Delhi, an independent, family-owned, natural and organic foods market serving Washington's Tacoma and Federal Way communities for over 45 years. I'm Lisa Gebhardt. I own Marlene's Market in Delhi in Federal Way in Tacoma with my two siblings. My mom started it 45 years ago, and we are running it, and so that's what I'm doing these days. Nice. And I love that it's a family company, and as you mentioned, your mom, Marlene, started the company, obviously, the namesake of the stores. That's right. But how did Marlene get started in the natural food movement in the first place? Because the stores have been around for a while, and I imagine she was into the movement well before even launching a store. So what's her origin story? That is very true. We just celebrated 45 years on April 1st. That's huge. And for that, in late 1960s, she read a book. Books are wonderful, aren't they? Nice. And really change a life. And it did. She read Know Your Nutrition by Linda Clark. And from then on, Twinkies and maple bars were no longer a part of our lives. <laughs> nice. <laughs> that got changed. Breakfast treats were now whole grain toast with honey and wheat germ on top. <laughs> wow, that's quite the shift. <laughs> yeah, quite a bit. It was it was a culture shock for all of us in the family. But you know, whatever mom makes, we eat. We don't have a lot of choice. So it was. She dove into that. It definitely changed her life. She just dove into the natural food industry, researched and changed everything. I mean, we had a lot of allergies and it definitely, you know, we all noticed that right away, even as kids. So it was good. We still had an occasional maple bar. <laughs> <laughs> so when you said you had a lot of allergies, do you mean after the shift to healthier, no, more whole the foods, the allergies went away? Yes, they oh, did. Oh, wow. Nice. Yeah. Go Marlene. <laughs> yep. Yep. She realized that it wasn't, that it just was eating whole foods that made the difference as opposed to just the classic American diet. Yeah. Was that part of why she picked up that book on healthier eating? You know, I think it was really kind of a fluke that just, I think that she'd had some ideas maybe going in her head and, and had been learning a little bit here and there, but that book was given to her by my dad, I think, but I'm not positive. I was only 12. So yeah, I'm not totally sure on that, but she just devoured it. And from there went on to other books by like Adele Davis and well, later on Dr. Wright and different people, but Linda Clark and Adele Davis were her two go-to authors. And so in the early seventies, she started working for the proprietor of a little store in Federal Way, Washington. Mm -hmm. 
and it was called House of Health Foods. And she was learning so much and was so excited that she actually went in and told him that he needed her because he was <laughs> one man operation in a tiny little, gosh, I don't know, 1500 square feet, just a tiny little storefront. And she said, you need me here. I will be able to grow your business with you. And so he did. And after about three years, he wanted out and she wanted in even more. And she bought yeah. it from him. So nice. on April 1st, 1976, she took ownership, changed the name to Federway Health Foods. At that time, she wanted to make sure everyone knew what it was and where it was. Very simple, very straightforward. And the very first thing she did was double the inventory. Oh, nice. So her gut instinct as a businesswoman, you know, was there from the beginning. She didn't have any background. She just had her own intelligence and instinct. And she did great at that. She's a natural entrepreneur, I think. That's great. Yeah. And maybe... You know, some of that can sometimes come from just being a frustrated consumer as well. You know, <laughs> like right. when I go into some of the smaller natural product stores and they only have like two aisles, I'm like, well, how am I going right. to do all my shopping here? And you want to continue shopping at the small local places, but if they don't have all the things you need, then it makes it difficult. Exactly. And that's what she said. She says, we need more product. And she also put in an eight seat deli. So just nice. a little counter and a table or two, she added that because she wanted to draw people in with good food and to tell them, show them what it could taste like, how it's even better. Because so many people back then in the 60s and 70s, you know, they thought of natural foods as, you know, nuts and seeds and twigs. <laughs> so, <laughs> yeah. So she wanted to really show people what what it meant to eat well because good for you didn't mean that it had to taste bad. Yeah. Sadly, there's still some people out there that, <laughs> that think that same way. When I talk to friends about like healthy food or organic food, they're like, Oh, I don't want to eat dirt or just like cardboard. Right. <laughs> it's like, have, <laughs> right. Where have you been living? Like, have you not tried any of this delicious food? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Open up the mind a little bit there, people. <laughs> yeah. So what was it like for you growing up? in a household with somebody not only, you know, reading some of these books, but then, you know, starting a store and probably going deeper and deeper and deeper into the rabbit hole. What was it like for the rest of the family? It was good. You know, I don't remember any horrible stuff except thinking, you know, when we, like I said, wait a minute, why can't I ever have a Twinkie again? And of course, we managed to sneak our own Twinkies once in a while if we really wanted them. But we still ate all the normal food that we always ate all the time. She still made cookies constantly. Yeah. They just were made with, you know, better ingredients. And as kids, we still love them. I thought she did a good job of teaching us along the way in a very low key way. She just, you know, this was still back when, you know, she definitely did all the cooking. And up to that point, she hadn't, she'd done some work outside the home, but she was doing all the cooking, and so she just kept cooking, and we would eat it, and it would taste good. So we, And then along the nice. way, she would explain some things, but it was never overpowering in any way. And I think that that ended up being her M.O. throughout her whole career, even, you know, as the stores grew and the size grew, it still was all about 
letting the education be out there and people could, you know, take what they wanted from it. And so I think it's significant that all three of us, you know, do our best to do the same thing, eat well and teach our own kids. Yeah, I like that, that you're teaching them and and kind of giving it to them in a delicious, easy way rather than lectures and and forced into it with tons of information you're not ready for. (laughs) Right, right. And kids are going to, especially teenagers, they're going to do their own thing. And then it's just a question of what do you come back with? And, you know, we come back around as adults realizing, oh, yep, that was the right thing. So, yeah. And I know so sometimes kids grow up in a household with parents being passionate about something or in a specific career field and they go the opposite direction, <laughs> like right. just go into something right. completely different, like their parents a lawyer and then they go into like art or something like that, right? But exactly. for you, <laughs> you obviously follow <laughs> down the path and now you run Marlene's as well. So how did you get involved in the business? Kind of Was that an intentional process or just something that happened naturally? It did just happen naturally. It wasn't intentional. I had helped out during college just as to earn some money part-time and had planned actually to move to the East Coast and go into international business, studied languages. Oh, wow. And after a little, some traveling, I realized the East Coast was not me. I was not an East Coast girl. <laughs> and that also discovered that I liked working with people in that kind of a setting and just grew into that along the way. And so again, it was kind of a, an education that I learned in a gradual way and discovered how much I liked it and that I was good at it too. So it was fun. Nice. So you started off with some part-time work in college and then, you know, went off to pursue your own thing on the East coast. But when you got back, how did you get sucked in and what roles did you play throughout your time at Marlene's? I had done a lot of traveling, spent a lot of time in Europe working on my languages and basically came back and had zero money. So (laughs) worked with her at that time. She only had, I think, two other employees and was growing. And so I came on. I remember the very first thing I did. Well, I did that during college, but also some of the earlier things were just little things like packaging bulk foods in the storage room behind the building. Nice this little place with me and my radio. So, and from there, just went to learning every other aspect of it. You know, I helped in the little deli part. I ordered products. I read. I learned how to do all the financial things, how to do a deposit. You know, you just grew all, you know, just continued to learn all of that and enjoyed it a lot. So just kept doing as much as I could there and yeah, it worked out. I have continued to enjoy it. It's, I talk with people, my, my staff, and they'll talk about how busy it was and how crazy it was and how this and this, and I'll go, yes, it's crazy. It's challenging, but are we ever bored? No, (laughs) (laughs) never. Exactly. (laughs) We might wish we could get bored once in a while for an hour or two. Yeah, that's one of my favorite things about running a business is there's there's no room for boredom. There's always a new challenge. No, not at all. There's always something. Right when you think you've got it figured out, something changes. Exactly. And right when you think you're having a calm period, even not even boring, but just calm. No. 
<laughs> exactly. That was actually this week. We thought like, oh, we just got all these deadlines done. This week will be a little easier. And then, nope, a bunch of other projects popped up and we're yeah. just as busy as we were afraid we were going to be. Yes. And isn't COVID a perfect example last year? And I was thinking, okay, we've got things set for this year. You know, I've got this, you know, new organization. We've got things set up here. We've got things set up there. All right. I'm going to take a lot of vacation this year. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Whoops. Not. (laughs) Yeah. I had a lot planned that got canceled, unfortunately. (laughs) Uh What a strange year. What was COVID like for you, like brick and mortar? Because I know, obviously, you're an essential business. So, but I also know a lot of people didn't want to go into stores anymore. Did you have to pivot in any way? Yes. Yes. There was a lot of quick adjusting because there were a lot of people that didn't want to come in. The first month when everyone was in the panic buying, that was absolutely insane. I'm sure no grocery store ever expected that. And I completely blame the media for not explaining that you can leave your house to get groceries and (laughs) get gas in your car. This is allowed. I swear people were buying for like they couldn't walk out of their house for three months. But yeah, after that first initial and with the lockdown, people didn't come out. But it did end up, it's kind of like holidays, the amount of workers that or snow days, I should say, the amount of workers that can make it in are pretty corresponding to the amount of customers that come in as well. It was really difficult to adjust schedules because there were so many people that didn't want to work because they were afraid. And we just told everyone, whatever you need to do, you do. And just we'll work it out. And for the most part, it has. It's just put extra burden on a core group of people. And that was tough. And it's still going on even now. We've got the, you know, the vaccine thing. So, but it's, as with everything, you end up getting through it. But yeah, staff, making sure everybody's there has has been the toughest. Yeah. Did you start doing deliveries or were you already doing deliveries and saw an uptick in, in those? Not official deliveries. We have a parking lot pickup. We started and is going very well we have always occasionally done a delivery for our customers especially our older customers who can't get out we've done that forever but it's not a set thing it's just really oh i live near her let me take that stuff to her oh nice and so we still do that occasionally but we don't have the setup or any aspect of the setup whether it's you know vehicles or extra staff or whatever to to really do the deliveries and the parking lot pickup has worked out very well Nice. Yeah, it's funny. I hear so many people talking about how they've shifted to or like getting their groceries delivered or doing the the pickup option. And I still have yet to even try it just because for me as a food enthusiast, I'll say, I I just love going in the store and I love looking on the shelves and seeing what new products there are. If I have like a meal idea in mind, I'm just evaluating all the options and I'm making decisions there in the store, not necessarily ahead of time. So Doing that online just doesn't feel as as fun to me. I don't know, for some reason. Yeah, I agree with you. And luckily, majority of our customers still do like to come in. They still do like, you know, being in the store. And our store has so many unique aspects. I mean, even our mercantile 
department. I love our mercantile department. It's I buy so many presents there for people. Yeah. There's so many unique things. And even with the masks, I mean, we had the best selection of masks ever. Very fun ones. But in the produce, you know, getting into it yourself is, like you said, absolutely the best. So we still have, you know, most of our customers coming in. You know, we still have just one person a day who does parking lot pickup, and we haven't had to increase more than that. So it's an aspect, but it's, we're still, come on in. People like to come in. Makes sense. Yeah. So a few of the things that I know that makes Marlene's fairly unique are, of course, you're locally owned since you're a small group of just two stores, but you're family owned and you're independent, which I think is pretty unique. Like even a lot of the co-ops are, are more of part of a system, right? But you're kind of an independent grocer. So how did those aspects influence maybe how you run the business or maybe how the community reacts to your business? I think that it's community definitely connects to us with that. And in some ways it, it adds higher expectations on their part that is okay because Marlene had the high expectations of her business and her staff to begin with. So we have the same expectations of you know, the customer service, the one-on-one, the go out of the way to do what we need to do, for example, this person can't get in the store. I'm going to run it over to them. Who lives close to this person? You know, anybody will do that. So it's that aspect of community and knowing your community as well. The education was a big part of it. We have customers who are on, you know, third generation in their family still coming in because they love that connection. And I think it truly is still a desire for people to know the people at your stores and having the local there for a long time, they appreciate that. And I think that's an aspect that obviously helps us so much because it's having, being a small independent is tough, you know, competing with Fred Meyer and Trader Joe's and Whole Foods is not easy. Yeah. I hear that. (laughs) Our other aspects that, have always been important, including the education and ingredients and our parameters and our knowledge. And that's what we have. Nice. Does it also change the relationship with the brands whose products you sell? Yeah. Yeah. Our vendors and our companies, we search for local vendors. I was just talking to a customer earlier this week we we're looking at all our different milks and we were looking at each one of them because you know, here's one from Squim, here's one from Eastern Washington, and they're all, most of them are in Washington State. I mean, Organic Valley is big, but at least we also know that they're, you know, from Oregon and Washington. And, yeah. and it was just really important to her to see this picture of this cow and know that that was a real picture of the cow from the yeah. place. So the vendors, we, we look for that as well. We have a lot of very small vendors. We have, of course, our main distributors and some big companies that have been around a long time and supplements. But a lot of those are, I mean, like Carlson Supplements, they're still family owned. And it's lovely to see that success story in all aspects, not just the brick and mortar stores, but the vendors as well. And the reps that are there, a lot of them, you know, we've known for years and years and years. So it's a great integral 
society of our own here. Yeah. How do you and or your buyers keep up with all that research? Are you just constantly looking for new options or are brands coming to you or is it just going to trade shows or what? We have a category manager for each department. And yeah, it used to be Marlene and me going to all the trade shows. <laughs> yeah. I have been to Las Vegas in July way too many times. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I am fine if I never do that again. <laughs> yeah. So they were fun. They were fun, but it was very intense. And so these days, you know, so that, that grew for us where, you know, supplements, body care, dry grocery, perishable. We've had to have one person reach one of those because it takes a lot of research. Our parameters are very high. Every single product that's new has to be non-GMO. You know, years ago, before the GMO, you know, before there started being any genetically modified things, we didn't have to worry about that. Then we did. We had to make sure. So everything new that comes in that we switch out, that's one aspect. Along. So does it have to be non-GMO verified or just, you know, take the farmer's word for it? We verify it as the top priority. If it's a local company that's in the process and we see that they're doing that, then, you know, we may start with that. But yeah, non-GMO. Are you okay with them having just the organic certification, but not the non-GMO verified? Yes, because right now the organic certification includes the aspect of non-GMO. Yeah. Great. So what other priorities do you have beyond the it sounds like local is really important and making sure it's at least non-GMO, if not organic, fully organic. Are there other priorities that you have when looking for products to stock? And organic is really a high priority too. It's just not quite as realistic to be able to have 100% of that in the store. Yeah. Though it is, our produce department is 100% organically grown. We don't have anything in there that's not organically grown. That's always been a priority there. And the other aspects have to do with, we have different sugar parameters. That was a big one for Marlene because there are certain sugars that we don't use. Yeah. And there are some that are, if there's no other option available, and then there's some that are the high priority. So we have different parameters for ingredients. So local and ingredient parameters, what their practices are as well in their processes, in their manufacturing, et cetera. So we look at all those aspects. So our category managers, besides the fact that they are also coming up with working deals with vendors for sales and things, you know, a huge part of their job is doing the research on these products. And we request all the time from customers for this, that, or the other product, and they've got to go check that out. Yeah. Does being kind of small, local, independent also give you more freedom to just choose the best product as opposed to looking for a lot of statistics around their velocity or sales data or other things like that that some of the big box stores concentrate on? It does, though we still have to be realistic to stay in business. And yeah. so we have to balance all that. If there are basics i'm trying to think of an example would have been like tazo tea you know we have different teas now we used to carry tazo but it's everywhere and yeah. it's impossible to compete with that price 
for us. So we look for options that are more unique and include all the other parameters that, that we do all the time, you know, local and everything, and try to offer something else. But there are other things, other products, for example, Burt's Bees. I mean, they're everywhere, yet we still have Burt's Bees because it sells everywhere. <laughs> yeah. A good product. So that's another part of their job is which of those items do we keep because it's a good seller, it's a good product, our customers want it. And, okay, yeah, it's a good seller, but we can't compete with the price or something. So it's a it's a balance all the time. What about newer brands or newer products that don't have a lot of data behind them yet? Do you give some of those brands a trial and just see how it goes? Or do you wait until they have data? All the time. We often, I have to say, I think a lot of times we are <laughs> try them before anybody. I'm sure you've heard of Alafia. Yeah. We were the first ones to have Alafia. Really? Wow. That's cool. They're based in Olympia. And oh, of course, I've spaced on the owner's name now. Anyway, he would come in and do seminars and they've grown so much and we still have them. But yeah, we love trying new products and we, the Zing bars from mm, the yeah. made them in Seattle. You know, we found those were like, they have got to come in here and now they're huge and they're everywhere, but they still are awesome products. So we still have those. We love trying new things. I think that we are great at picking up really interesting things right away. So, Well, how do you find out about those newer ones? Are they usually coming in and pitching you or are you going to like a natural products expo Northwest or something like that to find them? Both. I have to say both. The trade shows, they're not as, as useful as they used to be, to be honest. I think our vendors tend to, and our reps tend to, we have brokers that rep a lot of different companies and they also are looking and they know what we like and the ones we've had for a long time and they'll bring new products to us. Our customers are a great place. They, a great reference. I should say they, they will ask for things all the time. Oh, nice. And a lot of them come up with good ideas. So it's a combo. I think our brokers and reps are good, but we get a lot of companies that, I mean, there was a customer of ours years ago who said i'm making this salt except it's not a salt it's this combo of herbs and spices and i think you'll really like it and we did we got it nice you know and now dr wright recommends it to people and it's that's her only product (laughs) (laughs) that's that's awesome i know you make some in-store products as well or some marlene branded products what's your decision making process or how do you decide what to produce yourselves My category managers analyze that and they look at what is in the, you know, what's popular, what's current and what they feel would work best in our store. Because we want solid products. They bring the proposal to me and we talk about it. We want solid products that will always be there that aren't a, you know, flash in the pan kind of thing, but that will be a part of our brand because it's our name on it. So it's got to be the highest of parameters plus something that will be what people want forever. You know, the essential oil line that we have, you know, essential oils have been around a long time. They're good and used for many different things. So that was a good direction herbs. So it's just, I'd say they're not unusual items. They're solid products that are 
that we find good sources for. Nice. So something more like staple products rather than trendy kind of new, yeah. new innovative yeah. things. Okay, cool. That makes sense. So what are you, you know, coming, so hopefully starting to come out of the COVID pandemic at this point, what are you seeing as the future for Marlene's? Any, anything that you've been holding back on or wanting to launch that COVID held you back on or any new ideas that came from this pandemic? I think continued growth in our delis. We actually hadn't done as much grab and go as we realized we could do because our delis were, they're a good draw into the store because of the food. And so we were always busy and that's, you know, we realized, well, grab and go is a place that we haven't expanded enough of. Dinners for two, dinners for one. More and more people are wanting to just, I mean, my husband and I are a good example. And we, you know, I love just grabbing something from there and having it at home so I don't have to cook. And so I think that that's an area that we are definitely continuing to expand upon. Find some new refrigeration in Fender Way in the very near future for that. <laughs> so that's, that's a good area for us to be working on in the deli. And otherwise, just I think that we're strong with what we do. And we need to continue to offer the best. We're anxious to get back into our education again and be in store again. We love having the people there. Our education online has been good, but we miss the classes where people are there being a part of, of the whole atmosphere. So we're anxious to get back into a few things that we miss and then keep growing that as well. Nice. So as a small store, I'm also curious, there's always this pressure in the business world to scale <laughs> for whatever reason. We've kind of like lost track of the beauty of the small local mom and pop shop kind of stores. But have you had any visions recently of expansion, whether it's like just breaking your deli off and, and starting some delis or, or adding more stores to different locations to serve more communities or anything like that? Marlene and I talked about it over the years. We did you know, a big remodel of Tacoma an expansion in 2014. And we always thought that if we were ready to do a third store, you know, we had a couple places in mind. Things have definitely paused with COVID. So we're going to pause and get back into the swing of things before we evaluate that anymore. But we had always thought three stores. I'm not sure. I can't say yes or no on that, but that was always an option. There's some growing areas. So who knows? Yeah. Although now that I think about it, while it's sad that a lot of businesses got hit pretty hard in COVID and some of them have probably folded permanently because of it, the upside for you is maybe that would open up some space opportunities that you could get at a pretty reasonable rate. <laughs> yeah, yeah. There are plenty of places around, that's for sure. You know, Gig Harbor is a great area. Y'all up Bonnie Lake. There's a lot of areas. Nice. A lot of for me. Yeah. <laughs> Another thought I just had too is have you ever thought about selling some of your own in-store Marlene's branded products outside of your stores, like in other stores or other shops or I don't know, maybe pushing it harder out direct to consumer online? Huh. I haven't gone there yet, but thank you for putting that into my brain. <laughs> yeah. Always happy to plant some seeds. Cool. <laughs> I'll have to bring that up. So 45 years in, do you have any advice for anyone that would be thinking about starting their own local market? I would say, remember that it's fun. 
remember that it's hard. So you have to know yourself and know that, yes, I want to be my own boss because of all the pluses that come with being your own boss. Because whether you're your own boss or you're not, every job, every business, you know, pluses and minuses, and you have to evaluate that and know yourself to know that that's what you want. Because, yeah, it's hard, and yet it is so fun and satisfying because the challenges can make it fun and satisfying when you get through that because it's just, yeah, it's a thrill when you get through something tough and you're like, okay, this is great. And then we also get have your times where you see how everything is working the way it's supposed to and you can pat yourself on the back and say good job and pat all your staff on the back as well because yeah. they're, they're right there with you. So I'd say just, you know, know yourself and then go for it because it's it's fun. And maybe some of that early Marlene wisdom of double your inventory <laughs> as soon as possible. Yeah, exactly. You make sure you have the product for your customers and talk to your customers. They'll tell you what they want. Yeah, she was right out there in the middle of it with everybody. Yeah, nice. I love <laughs> it. What about any advice for brands looking to get into retail? Do you have any words of wisdom for them on some of the more successful pitches you've seen? I would say know who you're addressing your pitch to. To me, one of the more frustrating things is if somebody comes into my store and tries to sell me something that would never in a million years fit into my store. So know who you're selling to and find out their parameters. Ours are right there on our website. It's pretty straightforward. So do your research before you do so that where you go is something that it would fit for that store because then they're going to say, oh, that's really interesting. Come on in. Nice. That's great advice because I, I feel like most brands are probably just building one presentation <laughs> deck that they're yeah. sending to most stores unless it's like Costco, then they might customize it or something just because they know that's a different market. But otherwise, uh, yeah, that's that's a good tip. I like that. Yeah, yeah. General emails don't work. <laughs> hey, I'm selling this. Yeah, don't do that. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Perfect. Love it. Well, thanks for spinning some of your Thursday. I guess it doesn't matter what day it is, but some of your afternoon <laughs> with me to share some of your wisdom and tell us a little bit more about your story. I appreciate it. And I love the Marlene's dedication to sticking to your standards for the past 45 years, which is just incredible. So thanks for doing what you do and providing an awesome market for the people in Washington. Well, thank you, Gage. I appreciate it. It's been it was fun. Thank you for doing this. Yeah. Cheers. Thanks for listening. If you'd like to learn more about Lisa or her store, go to marlenesmarket-deli.com. Subscribe to our podcast and YouTube channel for more innovator interviews, expert advice, and leadership discussions. If you like this episode, leave a heart, thumbs up, or review, and share it with your colleagues. As an ever-evolving show, we also love feedback. So send us ideas for who we should talk to next at evolve at modernspecies.com and learn about our new online community for brand leaders at evolvecpg.com. See you next week.